Joshua Michael, this is my best friend Colin Ward. We're here to bring you the best in new comic books. We actually read a ton of comic books, so hopefully uh, one of these is on actual, actually your list. Uh, we want to go in-depth in a lot of things, and today we're actually going to have a lot of fun. Usually we're going to do a format where we do short box and long box, where we go over all the comics that just came out in our short box that we've been collecting in the past week or two, and then long box we're going to go a little bit, actually way deeper in terms of educational and really go deep into things that are such as like definitive runs. But right now we're going to have a lot of fun because this is the first issue of the Minefields podcast. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good, actually. It's been a weird week for me. Uh, a lot of strange personal stuff going on. But uh, the beauty of it is that you can always pick up a comic book and involve yourself in a story that you've already got a, a lot invested in, sink right into it. I get, you know, it's kind of the same business you can do if you just sit down and watch a TV show for an hour or a half an hour, uh, get some laughs, tune into your favorite characters, and uh, we've got old friends coming back, we've got new friends in these issues, it's always a nice thing, it's comforting. I had a decent week, nothing too interesting, I uh, am no longer chained to my work from home desk they let me come back to work and i can't wait (laughs) for some human interaction and that's really it man i had some soup just we (laughs) did all our research and uh, we're ready to go what's the first comic we're talking about we're gonna we're tuning into uh the new guardians of galaxy number one and that follows the recent uh infinity war storyline that is an obvious tie-in slash cash grab to the Infinity War movie. Though, I'm going to say, more effective in some things than probably Civil War II that we've talked about, you know, between us in the past. Uh, I think that uh, we're, we're seeing something that is going to propel itself perpetually in Guardians. And I think there's things that they can get away with there because... It's only really a recent thing that the general public, the movie-going public, and even comics fans has anything invested in cosmic characters. What do you think? Well, uh, first off, I um, first off, I definitely want to mention that it's written by Donny Cates and artist Jeff Shaw. Cates mm-hmm. did Baby Teeth and Redneck for Image. Uh, Redneck, I did read. That was an amazing comic book. It was a lot of fun. The artwork wasn't the best, but the writing definitely carried it. Um, Baby Teeth, I tuned out after issue three. I bought it all in one kind of like a chunk, and I didn't really like it. It was a little too out there for me. I, I like a lot of dark writing, but it wasn't really my really my bag for that sort of for my for my dollar. But um, <laughs> the the great thing is is that they're you know Donny Cates is the creator of the Cosmic Ghost Rider. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh yeah. Epic run on Thanos. Uh, you know, Thanos wins. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal comics. They, they they read themselves when you soak into it. I love that about the Thanos comic books. There's never been a Thanos comic book that I did not like. Um, 
Shaw did some work on Thanos. Um, he, Thanos wins, actually. But mm -hmm. he's actually coming coming to his own with Kate's. I'm really looking forward to it because uh, eventually we're going to do our um, our run on um, Jeff Loeb and uh, Tim Sale. And I'm mm -hmm. hoping that these guys have a chemistry that really kicks off, you know, like McFarlane and Capolo, that sort of thing. But, oh, yeah. Um, tell me what you thought about it. You know, I'm I'm really inspired by anything that has uh, Darkhawk on the cover. <laughs> and uh, I don't, you know, I, I went through it and I don't want to, I mean, really and truly, this is so fresh. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But um, the I guy that are on the cover... Everything. I, uh, you, you, you and your Royal Rumble uh, stuff the other day, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I mean, as far as spoilers go, I mean, I, we can really just file it down to its basic components. You know, if you've been reading anything in the Infinity War, if you've been reading anything cosmic lately, you're going to know that Thanos is dead. He's only ever going to be as dead as they want him to be. So... All of the heroes in space, and they're, they don't want to have anything to do with the Avengers or Earthbound terrestrial heroes in this story. As far as the characters say, um, they are all under the assumption that Thanos is authentically dead. But uh, I like a lot of the detail here because there's a big picturesque shot that sweeps across a lot of cosmic characters that are we're very familiar with and they're, that there are very cool guys um, a whole lot of the Shi'ar, Imperial Guard are present here. Um, the current list, the current Guardians roster, which is different now after Infinity War is concluded. And um, uh, and then we get a whole big stint in there where the Black Order shows up. And I hope you all are reading the Black Order uh, title right now because so far it's been super cool. And it has some variant covers that are particular to... One character that they're, they're focusing on in each issue. So I'm, I'm honestly, I'm looking forward to more of this. I think this is paying attention to the full spectrum of what you can get out of these cosmic characters, and it automatically sets up a major problem that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, that I don't want to blow for anybody, but there's. I say it's, we there's a lot of sense of humor here, by the way. I say of course, we blow it, man. I mean, if you haven't read the blow comics it? yet, where it's it's Friday, you know, screw it. If you didn't get comic <laughs> yet, you know, just put us on pause, read it, and then, then tune back in. Yeah, this uh, is a week and a half old. Everybody. This is a week and a half a week, old, yeah, isn't it? Dude, dude, it's a week and a half old already, man. I mean, um, yeah. Tell me, tell me what happened with nowhere. Start with gone. that. It's gone. And one of my favorite moments from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the first one, was when you first see nowhere. I, I was with yeah. my girlfriend Sherry at the time, and I just froze. I remember I had her hand in my hand, and I just squeezed it. And I'm like, that's nowhere. It's it's the <laughs> you know the decapitated head of a celestial, and you know all the villainous rogues live there, and uh, it's gone. Now, obviously, it's somewhere because there's oh, it shows up again. Yeah, but even then, like there's no disposing of celestial. Uh, uh, Corpse or tree, <laughs> and yeah. uh, they're all against Gamora. You know, Gamora must die. The projection shows up that Thanos has decided that he's dead, and he's projected his intelligence and consciousness into something else. And good luck finding it. Like this awesome Easter egg hunt, so much better than you know actual Easter eggs. 
<laughs> yeah, a terrifying universe collapsing Easter egg hunt for the uh, the antithesis of Christ, probably. I, I do want to talk about the artwork. Uh, oh man, work. it was fun. It's not a bunch of talking heads, and it's also not that convoluted mess that usually happens every summer when we have. Yeah, exactly. Event Colin's showing me uh, on, on oh, the screen dude. some of the work. Uh, it's not that convoluted mess that happens every summer when you know that one artist like Copiel, who I love, you know, spent three months, you know, working on it as hard as he could, trying to make each deadline, which they never do, which is fine. But it's not Talking Heads. The the crowd of that you were you were absolutely correct. And you touched on something earlier that I would really like our listeners to understand. If you can give us like, a brief history of your love for cosmic marvel because that is such mm. a particular phrase that you can't just you know ignore cosmic cosmic marvel you've got dark hawk i know you love dark hawk oh yeah me but oh you want to talk you're, you're asking me not everybody yeah i'm asking you i, I want to know about what you, what you think about this i mean the, the the lineup is phenomenal i mean just the fact that they had cosmic ghost rider made me really happy but we saw gladiator we saw the Silver mm-hmm. Surfer. We know this is all eventually going to be worked into the story. I love that Groot's not there, so there's not that pulp, pop culture aspect. Oh that, no, he's you know, there. Rocket's gone. Rocket they're, they're not saying there. what. Uh, they're not saying what. Uh, where Rocket is right now. Um, Which is fine because I, I love all these guys way better. But if you can give us like a, a synopsis of yeah, why real you fast here. cosmic, cosmic Marvel. Oh. Man, I mean, I, honestly, I got specifically turned on to Cosmic Marvel going back as far as War of the Kings. Uh, I don't know what it was that compelled me, but I think I picked up the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire while I was working at a comic book store. But uh, it's beyond me right now to tell you all exactly when that came out. So I don't know exactly when I read it, but uh, it would have to have been in the last nine years. And it just led in from one thing to the next. I'm, I'm going to say it probably had mostly to do with a tie-in to the Inhumans, who I always liked, um, kind of until recently, they've just blown out the Inhumans in a bad way. But um, getting familiar with a bunch of those characters who are running around there, that are they're hiding out with the Star Jammers, that are, you know, what are you looking at? You're looking at Ronin and the entire Kree Empire. Then you talk about some of the other cool, like, secondary characters... Uh, or the, in, in, the Supreme Intelligence. Just seeing them flesh all that stuff out, it makes it something that's really real. And I guess being a Star Trek person, I like my spaceship stories. But in this in this uh, Marvel universe, their cosmic characters aren't obvious tropes, like the Klingons and the Romulans or the even the Borg, for, for instance. You don't know what you're going to get with these characters. They're kind of consistent. I dig that. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have Novar, or you're going to have Marvel, or you're going to have Atlas and Rion Rog. There's Ronin. You don't know what character is going to show up and be a good guy or a bad guy necessarily, and when they're going to be that way. And you can go so far as to say the same thing about the Skrulls. There's always some story where you've got, oh, the Skrulls are all bad guys. It's not necessarily true. I just think that that's a more realistic take on, you know, any society, spacefaring or otherwise. And the Guardians, way back during the Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning books, were so well done, and their roster got bigger and bigger, more inclusive, with really cool characters, 
that I've, I'm always going to feel like it's a shame that that got kind of final finished and then torn asunder. I love the movies. I, I really like the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first movie in particular. Um, and I really think that it's bold, the direction they went with the second one. But I also get a little bit, I don't know, I, I, I can only think of some really unfortunately powerful words right now, like despondent. When the movies take over what's going on in the books, um, though I, you know, hey, that's that's the thing. You're going to see a movie. Your kid's going to want to see more of it. You're going to take them to the comic book store and say, hey, what's new with this? This is new. Cool. That's 3 or $4 or $5 as opposed to here's a Guardians of the Galaxy from 1996 or something that they're not going to be able to tie into because there's two different Guardians teams. And that in and of itself lends more to what's attractive to me because I can read Guardians in the late 70s and or, or yeah, I can read Guardians in the 70s, I can read it in the 90s, I can read it in the early 2000s and I can read it now. And it all feels like uniquely different but tied together stuff. So I'm sure I talked the heck out of that one, but there you go. Two questions. Um, mm-hmm. What is your favorite Guardians lineup? The 70s, uh, late 2000s, early 90s, or what's going on now? I'm not going to say I like what's going on. I, mean, I, I do like what's going on now. I haven't liked it for a while because it was too popular mainstream to contain itself. Um, I love the Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning lineup. Those are the best. Rocket, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, and then them going to, you know, flying in a ship that wasn't the Milano. The Milano is a thing that comes out of the movies. Um, Because the ship turns into a character, you know, and their ship is just, hey, they're running around and they're doing things, and they go to nowhere, and they're, they're working with their buddies, you know, Quasar, um, Cosmo, the the Russian psychic dog. I mean, that that list goes on and on. Adam Warlock, Mantis, all of them just so well written by Dan Abnett that I can't not like that. And then, dude, I love the original lineup because there was something really pure. And also because I'm a sucker for Silver Age, you know? Charlie 27, Martinix, um... Major Victory. Love Major Victory. Yondu. You guys, you know, maybe maybe you've only read the or seen the movies. You've read the recent stuff. Yondu was a character from Andromeda. And the Yaka Arrow, you know, operates while he whistles and stuff like that. He's a totally different character in those original books. I think if there's anything that links what we know from Guardians now to the old Guardians, go to your comics book store and see if they have back issues of Guardians 3000. It only came out in the last couple of years. It looks fresh. It's not going to cost you a fortune. And it's those old characters. See how they tie into this. And then, you know, look for Major Victory. He's in the back, you know, in that big sweeping shot I talked about. Major Victory is standing there because he found his way into the future. And I've, you know, it's it's barely understood how that happened. But there he is with Captain America's shield. Don't ask me how he got it. Right, but even then, I'm glad you uh, went into that because I wanted my second question was actually who your favorite uh, cosmic Marvel characters are. Oh man, I mean Cosmo. How can you not like Cosmo? Seriously, an amazing character. I'm amazed. I, it's hard for me to quantify that Darkhawk is a cosmic character because I remember how he was in the '90s when he came out when they were trying to make him the new Spider-Man. But they did 
a real bang-up job forcing his the whole Raptors storyline to be a thing and get him out into space and do things with Nova. And that makes him a cosmic character. I love him. I love that Moondragon and Philavel are in this book. Uh, because I just, Philavel is just a beautiful and tr- interesting character to me. She's got a crazy power set. She's just gorgeous to look at. Her costume changes because she goes through like total personality reversals. Uh, she has a crazy sword. I, and you know, nobody, everybody loves a character that's running around with a giant space sword. You know, I mean, those characters really do something to me. Um, if you, I mean, it's, I love the Black Order. Because I really love that Thanos has people he can rely on that aren't a bunch of random space pirates that get killed like crazy. You know, they're not. Yeah, they're not those. They're not the D-listers that are. Oh, uh, those guys easily are taken down. F-listers and, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, the Black Order are all I think A and B-listers unto themselves, and the fact that they're carrying their own title right now and it's really good. I'm suggesting everybody go out and pick those up. What are we into issue three now or something like that? Feels like issue it. three comes out soon. Okay, got you, got you. Yeah, you got any? Uh, you got any insights on this, Josh? No, uh, you're actually the expert on the cosmic um, aspect of Marvel on the Spidey, X Men, Wolverine, Punisher guy, which is fine. <laughs> but, hey, big, uh, big on the antiheroes. Yeah, big on the anti-heroes. Absolutely, I appreciate you uh, acknowledging that. But one of my favorite things uh, about you was that when I was courting you as my best friend was <laughs> the time you came over to my house and I was not a Star Trek fan and you educated me. You let me know why it was important and it wasn't just because it was Star Trek and there's a lot of cultural aspects that have influenced so many things, technology, actual you know our day-to-day lives of Star Trek. But you showed me the, the true meat and potatoes, and I love that about the cosmics aspect of Marvel when we talk about it because I get a chance to let you just go off. And yeah, man, thank and, you. You know, I'm, I'm really excited for I'm really excited for this new Guardians, not just because it's a the lineup is amazing, but because if they really can take off with this, if Kate's can really run with this, and by the way, he's only written a couple of comic books, by the way, this guy is a newbie. Really? He's, he's, they gave him the mantle of guardians real fast. So we've got to have some faith because if the head offices of Marvel or Disney or whatever you want to call it would give him this mantle so quickly, then he's got a good story to tell. And not only that, but more cosmic Marvel. I'm excited about that. More cosmic Marvel. Just give us yeah. more space. Like uh, I'm, I'm really bored to death a lot of the times with what goes on on Earth and, and you know the Terran aspect, because there's so much more fun in space. There's the Shi'ar. There's the, uh, there's the Kree. There's the interaction between all of them, and that, that's what I'm hoping for. I hope. Yeah, I'm looking. Hoping. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm double. I just, you know, hey, we're gonna fact check each other all the time. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, looking at, uh, looking at Kate's uh, career, I'm seeing him, uh, you know, as as early as 2012. I would kill to have that much, even that much time behind, under my belt. You know, I've, I've barely got. I feel like I've only got a handful more uh, than that in my, uh, in my regular career as it is. But um, yeah. Man, 
he's put out some serious material and he's worked on a lot of really good looking stuff. Yeah, check Image him out. If you, him. Huh? Image Sorry? trusts him. Oh, yeah, Image. Man, yeah. Well, those are guys you want them to. Which, bring me... Yeah, we, I want we'll to... We'll get to uh, something that's off Marvel here in a while. But, um, my, yeah. My last point about it is that I'm worried what's going to happen when... <laughs> Hiccups. <laughs> I don't know how to fix that. I know. What's going to happen when Endgame comes out? Because you know that they key oh, everything in the comics lately since... I, I want to say they really... The true impact was before Age of Ultron came out. The Age of Ultron story that came out that had nothing to do with what was in the actual oh, movie. Right. But it was totally. still the same title. They, you know, they still did an Ultron title. But, you know, they got away with doing a really kick-ass Elseworlds-type story that kind of did happen or didn't happen. Like, you know how there's, like... Wolverines on every team, and it's kind of hard to keep up with this actually canon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm just worried about the suits. I'm worried about the suits. But um, after Guardians, I want to talk about Spidey. Oh, right on. Yeah, new Spidey. Spidey uh, number 14, uh, Legacy number number 815 with Nick Spencer and Chris Piccolo. Spencer, uh, for all you listeners out there, he did a really epic run for Image called Morning Glories, which is what really captivated me about him. The artwork was phenomenal. It got a little convoluted with the time travel story. But Piccolo, I mean, Sandman, you name it, he's got his hands in everything. He's got – he's one of the few artists out there that has that actual style that you take one look at it and you know it's Piccolo. And – yeah, it's a good absolutely. it's a good issue. It's a good issue. It's one of those Aunt May in distress and Spidey shows up. The rhino causes some trouble. There's the Taskmaster and this Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. And this new semi Ant Man that's a baddie. They had given the lizard some trouble in the early issues when Nick Spencer took over after Dan Slott uh left to go to Fantastic Four with uh Sarah Pacelli. And it's it's all right. It's the the With first the story? issues. Yeah. The first couple issues, I could tell there was too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh-huh. You could tell there, they had had a lot of notes, and also it's a first issue, so you know jam packing everything into first issue is one of the hardest things you can do in you know comic book anything is making that first issue is introducing the characters. Um, I got to tell you about that in a little bit. We. we I read something uh, this morning and yesterday that they had some serious issues in the first, or they had some serious problems in the first two issues. Not, no pun intended. Exactly, and they they're they're they got the rhythm going. And the Rhino shows up. Him and Spidey decide to team up, and the batty Ant Man pulls out a gun that supposedly in the last couple panels destroys the Rhino's, you know. Armor, which, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do or even get him out of it. But mm-hmm. it's still a good Spidey story. They followed it up after a really good run with the Spidey with uh, J. Jonah. You know, switching the switching things back and forth. I really think what they're trying to do with Spider-Man right now is to ruin all of the actual tropes that they've been trying to do forever. They're doing the actual opposite. There's, 
they're not doing the you, – you remember in the movie they, they don't say with great power comes great responsibility. They, they kind of change it right. up. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, what they're doing is all the things that could never happen in a Spider-Man comic, they're reversing it. So they've got that going for them, but I don't know how long that can actually last to keep this sort of story going. Dan Slott came up with imaginative stories. These guys are just kind of doing reverse aspects, like in particular – um, Kurt Connors is actually a professor, and Spider-Man got busted for plagiarizing Doctor Octopus because they had this plagiarizing uh, machine that could tell that you were plagiarizing, and they could tell that he had plagiarized <laughs> something from Doctor Octopus, which he didn't actually plagiarize because Doctor Octopus was the spirit Spider-Man in his body for a while. Right, right. He gets totally. kicked out of the college, and Kurt Connors actually had to help save his family and inject them with the, the lizard serum, and they're permanently lizards. They can't change from human to lizard. When did and, that start? Is that brand new as of this issue? Or is uh, that something that happened new, a while I'd say ago. about five issues back. And Man, I can't he, wait. i got to check that out. Parker and MJ are having dinner with Kurt and his family, and his family, they're all lizards, and... <laughs> And Kurt's in lizard form because he wants to make them feel more comfortable. He doesn't like changing in front of them because they can't. And that's mm, that's a that's a dad move right there. That's a solid dad move. <laughs> exactly. But they've got Taskmaster. Okay, Taskmaster. I love the guy. Yeah. He's always one of my favorite B-listers. The, the guy always gets his ass kicked, but you know whatever. He always makes a good impact. And you've got Chris Piccolo doing it, so whatever. You know, it's it's pretty to look at. It's it's definitely it's definitely worth my my three bucks. Yeah, Chris Piccolo. I want to say uh, if you see if you don't if you don't know who we're talking about right now, obviously look him up. But um, for real, if it, recent Doctor Strange, beautiful, great stuff he did in that one. Doctor Strange is a book that uh, I'm, we're going to segue into in a minute or maybe now. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, uh, the new Doctor Strange has been consistently really good. Uh, I'd have to pull out the, my, my Doctor Strange box to, to actually know. I, you know what? I'll pull it up. But um, the thing I want to say there is that Doctor Strange being what it is, it, it needs a different artist every so often, even in consistent through lines. You know, you're going to do a story for six issues. Cool. Switch it up. Get another artist in there, I think, because it's such an off-the-wall story. And the Chris Piccolo material that was so good with the uh, the uh, the evil creature that was living in uh, Doctor Strange's basement. Uh, are you talking about Dead Nation or a little bit beforehand? It was after the. Uh, actually, here I can pull it. I'm gonna. Crawl, I'll link up to it here in a second. Yeah, because we're talking about fa- we're talking about issue ten, uh, the new issue ten, Legacy issue number four hundred. Oh well, yeah, he's not doing that. Uh, he's I'm talking about Chris Piccolo, Doctor Strange that comes from uh, like 2017. Well, I'm just saying that that's what we're talking about. We're about to segue into gotcha. uh, issue 10, uh, Legacy 400. Let's see. It was uh, I dare say, yeah, yeah. Why don't you get started and I'll I'll come back to that. I want to make sure that I've I've got the right time period for this. Well, Piccolo, he's so. He's their hired gunman. I love that about Bacallo is that he's such a hired gun. Like, something's mm-hmm. struggling, get Bacallo in, let him do two issues, not even five or six. Just give him two or three issues. And you know how, like, when they get Alex Ross to do a cover, and you're like, oh, Alex Ross did the cover, so this is going to be really good, and you open yeah. it up and some D-lister writer um, took over. But we're talking about 
uh, segues into, you know, with Doctor Strange, you know, Last Days of Magic, that sort of thing. Yeah, Last Days of Magic was the storyline that Chris Piccolo uh, worked on, by the way. In addition, one of our other favorite guys, Grant Morrison, go back and look at the work he did in New X-Men. Some of our favorite issues uh, incorporated his material, and it was a big switch. But, uh, yeah, Doctor Strange, I guess Doctor Strange 400. Yeah, that's where we are now. (laughs) Doctor Strange is always so, so much in limbo, isn't he? More or less. I mean, it seems like for the last few years, probably since the title started in... We had we had a we had a big run from 2015 and now we're on another new big run. We're up to issue 10 uh, that started in 2018, and uh, the 2015 material has lent it has blended right into this, uh, and it hasn't been overwhelmed by the movie, except until this issue. I am not sure because as much as I've read Doctor Strange, this this new issue number 400 seems to be the first. Uh, time anybody has ever uttered the word comertage because uh, the ancient one as per the comics not the movie uh, the ancient one uh, tr- you know at some point in the in the distant past uh, transmuted into the astral form and has just been wandering the earth and all these different dimensions and all these other worlds and existing astrally and watching everything happen and really enjoying his retirement essentially but uh yeah we've got a uh, we've got a whole creepy situation where uh he has to come and ask Doctor Strange for help because his magical abilities have been taken from him physically uh if you guys haven't looked at this yet i mean it's a creepy little critter that does this and like i said this the, the previous doctor strange from 2015 blends itself perfectly into this because they have been talking about how Doctor Strange has a price to pay for the magic he uses uh, for, you know, a couple of years now. Wong repeatedly told him that was the case, and uh, they finally capitalized on that now. It's because someone has come to get Doctor Strange to pay the piper at this point. Uh, and it's also because it's a big anniversary issue, I guess, when it's 400, issue 400, there are some smaller side stories in there, which uh, I love still, yeah, it varies depending, you know, sometimes it's like reading an annual, you never really know, but Mark Raid wrote, wrote them, and, he, and uh, he had different artists working on them. Uh, the, the funny thing is, though, <laughs> might be another way to segue into this, but the, 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 the one in the, se- the second story was definitely a uh, one in a theme of things I've seen lately in Marvel. Because if you look at uh, the second story in this, it's kind of an anti-bullying story. And that kind of loops us over into uh, uh, the Captain America story in Marvel Comics Presents number one. Yeah, and I know I, know I like that story, but you had a little bit of a problem with it. But regardless, it was still a good one-shot yeah. And uh, that Marvel Comic Presents number one that they're redoing, I really hope they keep it going because, you oh, know, yeah. uh, there's – people think that there's canon comics and they, they, you know, disregard them. But remember what came out of Marvel Comics was – Marvel Comic Presents precisely yeah. was Weapon X. Oh, for real. Way back. Totally. Let's see what they can or do was with it. it. Far- 
It wasn't Marvel Premiere, was it? No, it was Marvel Comics. It was Premier. MCP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, Barry Windsor Smith writing and drawing everything. Uh, if, if any of you guys ever are curious, you don't know anything about Barry Windsor Smith, look up his work in Heavy Metal. He's one of the fantasy artists that you really have to follow, like Julie Bell or um, um, what's his name? Uh, there's a duo, the the wife and the wife and husband team. What are their names? Wait, Terry and Rachel Dodson? No, the, Who are you talking about? the um, I'm talking about in, in, in fantasy art. Um, wow. Oh, we're mm. getting emails about this that we can't remember these guys' names. Dude, hey, um, people, folks, our our subscribers, our listeners, if at any time, we, you know, hey, there, there's a lot of comics lore out there. There's a lot, and. We don't work in a comic book store, and this isn't what we do all day, every day. But we are committed to <laughs> to the, what we do. If we don't know something off the top of our head, we're probably going to double-check it right away. So if one of us drops off or drops or, out for a second, it's because we're double-checking what we're saying. Don't want to tell people Boris erroneous Vallejo. information. Boris Who is Vallejo. It? Okay. Boris Vallejo. Boris um, Vallejo. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk about the next comic book uh, we were talking about. Oh, Blended Strange. Yeah, if oh. we're talking about how these, if since that's that's got side stories in it, let's roll into MCP number one. That's a really good. That's a really good idea. the The idea that uh, I, I guess I have to preface this. One of my favorite things about early Marvel comics was when my family took me to. We had an Uncle Mike. Apparently, I'd never met or even heard before, and we were on making our way from Maxwell Air Force Base, Alaska, through Texas to Las Cruces, to wow. um, San Diego and L.A., up the coast, up all the way to Seattle, because we were driving from Maxwell to Isleson Air Force Base, Alaska, where we lived for six and a half years. And on the way there, we stopped <laughs> in Portland, way. and Uncle Mike had a – him and his wife or girlfriend – had an antique store where they didn't have an antique store. They were one of the, the consolidators there. That, and he had this huge box of Playboys and comic books. And he's like, take whatever you want. And my dad's like, you can't take no Playboys. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> of course I stole a Playboy. But uh, there was a, a stack of Fantastic Four comic books. And I'd read FF before, but – these were old, like, late 60s, early 70s ones, and oh, nice. what I loved about them was that they were one issue, one and done. It didn't matter uh-huh. if you it didn't matter if you had read Fantastic Four ever before. You'd get the recap in the beginning, just like every time they restart a new Spider-Man comic book, or they always yep. somehow work his origin story into it. They, they barely did that enough for you to just enjoy one comic book. The the, the paper smells so old and just yeah. you know, that that perfect library smell, and just that the, the idea that they're translating that into Marvel Comic Presents. There was that story with Wolverine with the Enchantress, not the actual Enchantress, but hmm. um, how like. In, in a way, uh, did they? Do you, do you feel that they inferred that that's how he got his healing factor? Man, you're beyond me on that one. I don't know. I've got the uh, Fantastic Four phone book over here. I, I have picked up a handful of those omnibus editions, and uh, 
they're not easy to read. They're gigantic, and I'm afraid I'm going to hurt the spine or right. whatever. So I haven't even eaten through that sucker. Well, I'm not uh, even talking about. Couldn't even say. I'm, I'm talking about his encounter with that gypsy woman that is there to help the Nazis, like you know, enchantate <laughs> this. Okay, demon. okay. I thought you were talking about uh, a Fantastic Four issue from the late. No, 60s. no, I, I feel uh, like no. that that's how we got his healing factor. I don't think that's the case at all. Let's go into that. I mean, you're not going to let's comics creators. There are some things that we're going to mess with clearly, and there are some things that we should never mess with. And the inference that that we're making here, I, I don't think that uh, we should ever take take you know Logan's healing power away from him as a mutant ability. Agreed. Uh, but I don't know. I don't. I we would not that, want to see that. I swear they're inferring that. I swear they're inferring that. Interesting. And it's amazing you got that take. I did not get that take because I'm just looking at him like, okay, I know it's Logan. I know it's Logan. But uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think that this is when you're talking about one shots. When you're talking about one and done, I dig that being the case. Uh, but I don't think that's what we're going to do. I know they're going to continue this story. Obviously, it says to be continued in the last panel. But, the Submariner um, story, that was awesome. Oh, if, if you got Nazis was, in World War II, that was awesome. When he turned his head and said, you've got another bomb, don't you? Yeah. Were, Fury was just distracting him. So we jumped over that. The second story in Marvel Comics Presents, number one, Greg Pak and Tom Coker. Uh, oh, and that's maybe this is where I'm, because we, I, was, I was talking about uh, Joe Carmaga, Caramaga. Karamanga Magna. Dang, I cannot say that, and I've been trying to say it for two days. This might have been where I was looking at that earlier. You are you are so right. That second second story with uh, with Namor is super rad. Because how do you get Namor to do anything for <laughs> anybody unless you're t- you know almost tricking him? You know, <laughs> yeah, get him, yeah, parade a blonde in front of him. <laughs> That's funny. It's, or, oh, that's funny in a creepy way, too, now when, that I think of it. When he realized he'd been manipulated, that was, mm-hmm. rather than do, you know, what he always does, he he held back. He was waiting for something. I can't wait for the next issue. I know. I'm very much looking forward to that. And, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Look what they did with, what, six, six pages? Seven six. pages? I mean, the Wolverine story... Pretty rad. This Namor story, one of the best Namor stories I've seen in a really, really long time. And uh, it really humanizes a guy that doesn't want to quantify himself as human. And uh, it also just shows an amazing, you know, like, I'm not going to say comradeship. He didn't have Captain America there. He didn't have Bucky. He didn't have the uh, the Human Torch of World War II or Toro, for that matter. Uh, so, you know, he's being an, an invader, but yeah, just amazing to see anybody, to see him entreating with American soldiers at the time, which isn't to say that he hasn't. It's just fascinating. Yeah, I can't wait to see what's next, but the, 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 the last part of this one, the Captain America story to me was way more entertaining when it was, uh, Captain America quipping with remote Iron Man. Uh, and you know the little cute teenage girl with colored hair was totally cool. It took me a minute to realize I was looking at Greg Landart. 
That is awesome. I, I was just happy to have anything to do with any way Evil Knievel. It was like he was training <laughs> Evil Knievel. Yeah. And that made me happy. Um, I do want to talk about Black Widow now. Okay, yeah, let's blow out of it. Let's go in there. Uh, I do want to preface it that uh, the new Black Widow, number one, really should have began with the artist and the writer's um, addendum at the end, talking about how they not only just love the Black Widow, they're, they're not just some fangirls that saw the movies and like Black Widow. No, these girls are experts in Black Widow, and they're talking about one of the things that lacks in everything that is done with Black Widow since probably about 2010, um, right before the Avengers movie came out, the first one, right. was that she was lacking her desire to kill, and that was an actual integral part of her. And why is that missing? And why isn't everyone, everyone doing anything with something like this? And they took over the reins. And we've had discussions before about making comic books, you know, pop culture fashion, or even just trying to adhere to the current political environment or social economic. It wasn't just like Bendis saying someone's, oh, Iceman's gay now. No, no, no. It was two oh, beautiful yeah. women writing the Black Widow and realize this woman is a drunk. She's a maniac and she's got to sow, she's got to sow those roots. And I wish they actually put that at the beginning. Um, I was a little apprehensive at first when I start, first started reading it, worried that it was going to be some sort of mess where she was going to go on some spy mission that I was going to be, I didn't care about, but we were talking about it on the phone the other day when we were driving and she, she, She's looking for trouble. She goes to Madripoor. You tell me that you're in Madripoor and the story's in Madripoor, I'm hooked. Yeah, the man. city of thieves and criminals and everything you can imagine evil. And I'm in. Thank you to Patch. Thank you to Wolverine. Thank you to Chris Claremont. But Madripoor is the city of thieves. She goes there looking for trouble and immediately she gets spotted. And she's wearing... To attract trouble, Patch's outfit, the the white the white uh, suit with the patch. Oh yeah, and she stumbles on a uh, on a uh, what do you, what do you call it? Have you watched a lot of uh, Law and Order Law and Order uh, Special Victims Unit? You know, sex um, criminal unit. It's a it's a dark web <laughs> a sex, sex criminal trade. situation. Yeah, and the first time, and I loved it when. When it it's laid out in front of her, help us out. <clears throat> Sex trade. They're killing our girls, and the first thing she does is get up, immediately walk behind, grab a bottle, and start chugging some fucking vodka. And yeah, she knows she's going to go to town on somebody for real. Yeah, and she gets caught. But she was there with a, a wide net. Why, why go to Madripoor and look for trouble? But why not go to Madripoor and dress as Patch? And even <laughs> you're going to do it. They even reference that dresses patch. I think I, I got a couple of things to say about this. It's you know the artwork is a for one thing. I want to go back in a little bit before the artwork. This is probably the last of this sad vein of books that we're going to pick up with the Stan Lee and the black the black first page and the black back cover. I hope so because I've missed a couple of issues of things I needed to like pick up because I didn't see the actual logo. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm. Yeah, that's true. That's that's been a hard thing. They've all carried the Stanley banner. We, Joshua and I, have a ha, had our special Stanley moment, which may not be nearly as special as a lot of people's, but still, it was a big deal for us, and we knew we had to we had to make it happen. We'll go into that another time. But I, for one thing. Uh, I am glad I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know, maybe it's a terrible thing to say. I don't want to be reminded that we don't have him anymore every time I pick something up. And I also absolutely hate that I leave a, leave fingerprints on the black back cover every time I pick up one of these issues, uh, which may be a stupid thing to say. I mean, how many, if we're going to just keep relaunching titles as number ones, I don't know that that makes any difference. You know, that's not going to help its collectability or its, I don't know, secondary market value. I mean, to me, a lot of these new number ones, I'm just going to end up getting them in trade anyways. Um, but uh, anyway, so jumping past that, I mean, we get in here to see the, the Flaviano as an artist. Very cool. Simultaneously, it's a little wacky to look at a Black Widow book being this cartoony looking. But, yeah, that, that, you know, I, it doesn't I, burn me. I felt that he was trying to mimic uh, Bacallo. Or, Maybe or so. Even, uh, actually, I no, don't know. not Bacallo. Uh, John Romita Jr. It, it, okay, it, at first I it see looked that. like uh, Junior Jr. did that. And I, I felt like, okay, at least the artwork's good. I mean, they, they, they threw these girls a bone. I don't even know how they even got away with this sort of thing when they got this sort of violence past uh, Disney and Marvel. But oh, this they, isn't so bad. Oh, it's still pretty good. Do you think good, it's terrible? The sex trade, man. Like, like, dude. Uh, everybody should be paying attention to that stuff these days. I mean, I live in a town where we're at the crossroads of America. We have two massive north. I have a massive north south south interstate and a massive east west interstate within fifteen miles of my house, and there are there are billboards all over the place talking about uh, about that they're not they're not exactly pinpointing it as sex slavery but they are talking about it and I see it and it's something that I'm very I did a movie uh, a year ago that was about it I, I think it's something we need to be paying attention to I agree and I think that it's something that I want to see them. I want to see these bad guys go down. I want to see these girls get taken care of. I mean, they've got guns. These girls have guns to their heads at the end of it. And even if it is cartoony, we're still seeing a a, a victimization that needs to get solved fast. What are the names of the writers? Um, it is Jen and Silv. Let me pull it up here. I had it. Jen and Sylvia Soska. And the one name uh, for the artist? Flaviano. Flaviano. Flaviano, let's look that up. Here's another. This is the third book that I've picked up this week with Joe Caramagna involved. And I, it's crazy because I started looking at this and wondering, like, what, uh, what, am I, what am I seeing here? VCs. I did not realize that there is a, a consortium of letterers. This 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 guy is a letterer, but he's also a writer, and he's done a lot of other stuff. He's also an illustrator. I looked him up, and I thought, man, yeah, who is this dude? Um, I actually like the lettering, <laughs> which 
you know, that's you, you kind of gloss over the lettering. I'm sorry, everybody, but, like, to pay attention to it, because I'm like, this is a consistency, this is cool, and I thought to myself, what's VCs? And I thought, are we doing this all in in a computer now? Is this, is this a, a font that we've bought, and we're typing it in like that? No, this is that guy's work, and he is part of Consortium, and several other artists are involved. But then I just looked, I just Googled the guy, and... There he was making Twitter comments about the uh, Royal Rumble on Sunday, and I was inspired to go deeper because we are wrestling fans. So I want to talk to Joe Caramagna sometime. That is an absolute understatement that we're wrestling fans, and also <laughs> we absolutely have to get an interview with him. I would love to hear his process. I know those guys oh have gosh. to use tools that are just painstakingly fine. Like, See, I've talked they- to... But go ahead. I want to jump in with one more thing about that. Well, well, they got to worry about like what actual inks they're using. The inks actually mm-hmm. bleed. The inks actually bleed into the paper, or the ones that just lay on top, like ballpoint artists. You see these guys on Instagram that are ballpoint artists. Um, but these guys are, oh are gosh, dealing yeah. with painstaking detail that even the artists wouldn't want to get into. I, I imagine. I, I had a nice conversation with one of my guys at my local comic book shop today because I asked him about it. And I said, hey, what do you know about this stuff? And do you know about this company, Virtual Calligraphy? And, uh, you know, of course, it, like I said, we're not exactly comics professionals. I mean, I worked in a comic book store for a while, but that was years and years ago. And so I'm not seeing it every day. But it's interesting. I, I like to look at trends. I'm interested in trends. And I saw this and I'm going, what's the deal with this? And he's like, oh, you know, what is this? you know, you think about it, and it's like it's consistency, it's con- it's contiguous quality of worksmanship, and so you think about that, and then you think about go back and think about the Marvel style, you know, John Romita, Don, Dan Heck, uh, uh, oh, who have I been talking about so much? It's killing me suddenly. I can't even think of it. Don't forget Bashima. Oh yeah, Basima. Yeah. Oh, go back. I'm 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 feeling terrible suddenly because I can't come. Oh, Gene Colan, everybody. I'm sorry. It's Gene Colan. Go back and look at all those guys and see that there was this concept of you know the Marvel style, and now you don't have to cater to that, and that's why we can have material like Flaviano, or we can have uh, the Chalo, and it's all over the place because it doesn't have to have that consistency. But your lettering. Should and I think that's where we come to this. And I asked my I asked my friend Mark there. I said, "Is there anything you can think of? Is there a book or an article that you can think of off the top of your head about this?" And he's like, "No, you know, I really don't know." So I'm going to be looking for something like that. If any of our subscribers have something they can send me that they've read that uh, that is something along the lines of I don't know, Super Gods or uh, Brian Michael Bendis' book about you know, comics construction. I want to know about that. I want to, I, w- I want to invest some more time into understanding that process. And I think we will end up talking to one of these folks. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's switch a little gears here and go back cosmic and talk oh, yeah. about, uh, star Wars. Gillian just finished his, uh, epic run on Darth Vader. Yeah. And he's about to finish up on star Wars. And that kind of makes me sad because he's had the reins for so long, and he's done such a good job. One of my favorite things is the fact that it's only a couple issues, and one small storyline is taken, you know, is done, 
And all, the the Star Wars for our listeners that aren't familiar that have been following, the Star Wars that they're doing actually in Marvel Comic Universe uh, has chapped us a little bit after Marvel took over, um, you know, Lucasfilm, and they disavowed everything that happened in Dark Horse and all the good novels. But mm-hmm. even then, Gillian has done a really good job within the pages of Star Wars to tell the really small little tales in between. Um, a New Hope and Imperial Strikes Back and, right. and the Jedi. They haven't uh, they haven't gone that far yet, but even then, uh, he's done a really kick ass job. And my favorite, by far, has been when he was wrapping up the latest issues of Darth Vader. Uh, I love the fact that they released the Lego version of uh, Vader's <laughs> castle in Mustafa, and then you know they do the story about it when how the the castle was actually built. And they wrapped that up, and it was just full of fire and pain and anguish. And they really dig dig deep into that sort of thing, with, especially with Vader trying to bring back Padme. And, mm. you know, the, the castle's out. You know, you can build it. You can buy it, whatever. It's gorgeous. It's, what, like a foot and a half tall? Um, uh, probably thereabouts, yeah. I, haven't, I have not picked that one up. I'm having a hard time with a... Uh land area for any lego sets in my uh in my workshop here so i have not bought it the latest issues have been really juicy i like how they're expressing the idea of honor on that planet they've taken refuge on and i believe what's it called huber let me pull that up yeah hubris it's uh huber i think it's close enough to hubris and (laughs) it it, it really is i think they did that on purpose yeah, yeah, I'm sure. In, how long can you hide from the Empire as a peaceful planet? Cuban. They all, they all had Cuban, yeah. They had that uh, the contingency plan. Mm-hmm. So some crackerjack guys, you know, that entire contingency. Uh, or that entire contingent of mercenaries who'd been hiding out there for a while. I mean, when I was a kid and we were playing the Star Wars, the West End Star Wars role-playing game... This time period was the time period. You know, they gave you the second edition, and you could be playing after Return of the Jedi in the expanded universe, and that was tough. But, uh, I mean, this is the time period. You want to be constantly on the run. You want to be constantly being uh, concerned about subterfuge and all kinds of stuff you have to do as a good guy. (coughs) I mean, this this story, I feel like, started as far back as issue 50. You've got Queen Trios... You know, like double crossing Princess Leia. That was kind of a heartbreaker. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Rebel fleet getting chewed up like that, and then everybody getting tossed in different directions and trying to escape. There's some fun there by getting Han, Luke, and Leia and the droids separated from everybody else because Star Wars at its core is always most fun when it's that small crew. Rogue One. You know, uh, and and Han, Luke, and Chewie, and Leia, for that matter. I mean, even go back into the Marvel early Marvel comics of Star Wars in in like 1978, and um, they separated them. They still focused on them. They were light years apart, and then they were just like, "No, we got to get these guys all back together." That's where it's at. But uh, what I mean, the artwork is gorgeous. If you guys haven't been reading Star Wars. Check it out. It is beautiful. It is cinematic. The, the, the panels 
on every page are generally widescreen as if you're watching a movie. Um, the is almost photorealistic. You know, I'm not going to say anybody's tracing anything. I wouldn't blame them for doing so, but the these faces, the expressions are like direct from film stock. It's just beautiful. It looks so good. Han Solo has never looked so good in comics. Agreed. Um, I just don't find it that important. What the stories? Yeah, the I mean they're, they're they're good, but I just don't find them so that really integral to what's going on in Star Wars and what people would consider canon. But I find these much more important, though, because they're digging deep in the integral mind workings of what's going on with the Rebellion, which is my favorite part. My favorite part is how the Rebellion has struggled to even just stay the Rebellion. And everything else, you know, because you know where point A to point B goes and where they're filling in between things and... Let's, uh, I really, really am curious about what you're talking about earlier, about that one shot from IDW. IDW is always uh, looked down upon as not as good, but all their books are phenomenal. Even their GoBots comic was really good. Um, they're doing, <laughs> GoBots. Uh, yeah. Awesome. They're doing, all right. They're doing GoBots and they're doing Ninja Turtles, but they did oh. the, the issues, uh, Star Trek you're telling me about earlier about. Can you, can you expand oh, on that? Man. Yeah. If they, you know, these guys have a Star Trek license. I'm not looking down on them. They've got the G.I. Joe license. They've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Those are major, major t- uh, franchises to have anything to do with. And, uh, I mean, you go back and look at this one shot I picked up, Star Trek The Next Generation. It's part of their IDW 2020 uh, event, I guess. And, I mean, they're 20 years old. That's it. It's their publishing anniversary. And uh, so they're taking some of the story, some of the story material that they've got, and they're looking at what it looked like 20 years before and 20 years in the future. So the, the one shot that we've, we've got is a story of Captain Picard's USS Stargazer palling around with uh, Beverly Crusher before she was married and with uh, Jack Crusher, her husband, who is the father of Wesley. Right. Who was, of course, dead long before Star Trek The Next Generation ever hit the airwaves in 1987. But um, if you guys have been reading any of the Star Trek that's been out there lately, you're going to notice these gorgeous, gorgeous painted artwork uh, from all of those Mirror Universe stories. Uh, J.K. Woodward. Just delicious paintings. Um, it's consistent. It's... I'm not going to say photorealistic, of course, because how can you in this vein? But, again, the expressions are beautiful. The attention to detail, I mean, it's it, it's a master class in studying what these actors look like and knowing what their expressions were from one episode to the next, one season to the next, and finding a way to translate that onto the page. So, like I said, Han Solo has never looked so good. I've never picked up a comic and liked the way that these actors and characters were portrayed visually more than in this in in uh, the stuff that J.K. Woodward has done for IDW. And um, also, thank you so much, Peter David, for writing Star Trek. Some more again. Your stories have 
always been inspirational. I'll always remember meeting you at, I think it was a Wizard World, um, a Wizard World event in Los Angeles and being able to talk to him about Imzadi and Imzadi 2 and the Captain's Daughter. Some of my favorite Star Trek novels. They're just, his, his formula is, is, is just really entertaining and I could read that formula over and over again with different characters and never get bored of it. And uh, right. here it is. Here we have some more wonderful Peter David Star Trek. Is that's that's where I am with that. Well, let's talk about Fight Club three number one, man. That, oh, man. We've been obviously Fight Club's been our pretty much our bible since we've met. Yeah. But uh, it's got a lot of really good intricities, and I, I really think that we should go into. Especially um, Chuck Palahniuk wrote it, you know. And for all those people that don't know how to say it, it's Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> Thank you. Chuck Palahniuk Copy and that. Cameron Stewart. He did Sea Guy with Morrison a couple years ago. Actually, more like ten years ago, almost uh, that re, re, revitalization of Sea Guy. I got the first two issues and I didn't like it. I, it was kind of ridiculous to me, but it was still Morrison, so I still tried to give it a, a little bit of a attention. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite things about it is that David Mack is doing the covers. Um, yes. Remember he used to do, he used to do, do Kabuki. Yeah, totally. The, totally yeah, remember he, Kabuki. He, his covers, uh, we saw that we were talking about earlier about how the variant cover was crap. And <laughs> I kind of uh, want to look it up. No insults. It just not. Just doesn't. It doesn't. It it ties into the movie maybe, but so far I can't say. I can't see how that would tie into. What's going on in the book? But I mean, variant covers don't always necessarily do that. Unconventional is the word that I would last use to describe this book. Now, hmm. one thing I know about how Fight Club Two originated was that Bendis and Matt Fraction were at dinner with Chuck Palahniuk to try to convince him, please God, make a comic book, and he decided to do Fight Club Two. And I think the reason why he decided to do it was because that the format of comic books is so much more open and infinitesimal. You can do anything in a comic book. As long as a reader wants to buy it and pick it up, they've suspended their disbelief enough to, you know, get into it. Yeah. Now, he, from what I understand, uh, Bendis, Fraction, they went into it with, with Polonic about how to actually write a graphic novel and how comics are written, and he decided, F all of that. I'm going to have a lot more fun with that. And when you're reading Fight Club 2 or even 3, what we're about to talk about, one of the things I love about it is that it's it's told so unconventionally to the point that there was like, what, maybe like 10, 15 points of dialogue in this new issue? Yeah, it wasn't a lot. It really wasn't a lot. Uh, there was even no. literally what I, we, I would literally call murmuring on the first page. So it forces you, maybe that's a trick. To get us to look at every other piece of prop and set dressing that we're seeing on the page. Exactly. The devil is in the details, and especially the devil's in the details of what they're not showing you, because they obscure a lot of things in part two, and they've done a lot of it in, especially in the first three pages within that first uh, calendar yeah. uh, with, the, with the dead dog. And they're showing you the formation of what's going on, but how is it happening? Who... Who's actually in control? The ending of uh, Fight Club 2 was so ambi- un- ambiguous. And 
how did that actually happen? All of a sudden, uh, Sebastian is no, well. One thing I remember that really upset everyone from Fight Club Two was that Jack's name was not Jack; it was Sebastian. Now he's right. Balthazar, and who's actually in control? Uh-huh. Uh, Balthazar is looking for a new job, but who's in control? Uh, Marla, I don't know if you noticed, but is obviously pregnant with their second child. Mm-hmm. Or and is it Tyler's child? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, which is one of the main points from the second uh, the second Fight Club was like that Tyler was a a character that transcended age and time. And whose child is that actually? Who is actually in control of of Balthazar, the the newly jacked to Sebastian to Balthazar? And why would Marla in the first place let her husband leave home without any sort of supervision? Oh yeah, I got I got thoughts on that, but carry on. Uh, you know, Sebastian, formerly Jack, now Balthazar. He's looking for a new job. He's going through the whole impositions of you know the career fair, and he meets a chick, and they definitely hook up. And I do like how uh, Cameron Stewart did an homage to the uh, sex scene from the actual movie. They did mm-hmm. one page thing, like that uh, amorphous, the amorphous sex scene, which was nice. Uh, one of my favorite sex scenes of all time in movies, and not talking like as a pervert. I mean, not, like from the the original movie, that that hypersexual scene when you, you couldn't tell where where Tyler ended and and uh, Marla began, and they introduced the. That evil man, obviously evil, looks like, uh, skeletal, and he had influenced the artist that had painted the the picture of the dead dog. And the dead dog picture evolves throughout the entire comic book from uh, like a, a novice painter to a a masterworks painter, and it's all set from the scene that he had somehow manipulated her to buy the 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 uh, the painting's um, frame. It's not for sale, but then he takes the frame, and then the frame shows everything that you want to see, and, and then the artist who painted the dog sees her dog alive, but uh, at the same time, I thought, wasn't that Tyler's and his kid and Marla's dog? Who is this new mystery woman? And second off, they introduced one of my favorite things of all time, Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, that's my nervous uh, laughter. Nazis aren't my favorite people in the world. Obviously, I don't like real-life Nazis. But when we're talking about Nazis within the storytelling, what would Indiana Jones have been without the Nazis? That's why the third one sucked, because it was Russians. They should have just got Nazis like they should have gone. And, you know, it continued that intrigue. And they introduced the Nazi gold. They introduced the manipulation of that evil man. And, like, he's like some sort of gatekeeper, who make sure the, that the right people have the right things to see what they have to see. And hmm. the last point I have is when uh, Sebastian, obviously controlled by Tyler, because you see Tyler in the mirror, yeah. uh, hook up with this chick. They do that awesome sex scene, and uh, Marla calls, and she's like, hey, I'm I'm his new bitch. I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd. They even blinked that, that word out like it was kind of something – insignificant not because they were trying to censor it but they were trying to blank something that was insignificant and then obviously uh jack 
Sebastian or Balthazar or whatever you want to call him wakes up and he throws up and then they integrate into the actual comic book artwork a fake vomit or I hope that was fake vomit <laughs> it's probably, it looks like looks like peas and uh, potatoes perhaps yeah you're not actually buying yeah. vomit everybody it's photo it's photo uh, photo work on top of illustration artwork correct yeah, I mean, the last page, I mean, this is a, oh man, okay, this is a Dark Horse comics book, and it's, it's ambitious, high quality, beautiful cover, because it's a glossy cardstock cover, with printing on both sides, thank you for that, I feel like I'm holding something tough that I'm not going to hurt over time, and my fingerprints aren't going to annihilate, I'm not, I know I've mentioned that already once, but it's on my mind right now, especially since I injured a 19, oh man, my Captain Marvel number 10 recently from way, way back, which I still have right, my, right there on my person. But yeah, I think it's totally worth reading the horsepower section on the la- on the back cover because uh, it's basically kind of running off, hey, remember this, and you just read this. This is what you just read. And it kind of... It's like, do we have to know that? Did we, or can we accept the fact of what's going on in front of us as it's played out, knowing that there will be more issues that will hopefully shed light on what's going on? But what you say is correct. It's, it, it is ambitious in that it doesn't have to tell us anything right now. Is it because we're going to buy it? Or is it because... They're just going to do what they need to do. Whether whether they make their money off of us or we get left in the tra- in the dust trying to figure this out, we're still going to pick it up, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm going to buy every one of them, and then I might buy another version, like a hard like a a hardcover or something when it comes out in trade. I mean, I'm not going to pick up and reread my single issues. Will I keep them forever? It just depends. I don't know, but. Uh, I mean, here we have it. I mentioned it to somebody else. I was like, Fight Club 3 came out today. And they were like, what? There's a new Fight Club movie? And it's the same thing. And I was like, no, no, he's writing it in comics. And uh, I think it's probably because it lends itself better to this than maybe even being a book. Especially with the the consistency of the artwork. Hmm. Yeah, chemistry really did a good job. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's it's a little whimsical, but not too whimsical to turn me off. Like it was like a DC comic, like for Raven, like where it's obviously tuned to thirteen year old girls. No, it's 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 gorgeous. Yeah, and it does the job. And man, I, I would love to get inside this guy's head and see what the actual scripts that Chuck had actually sent to him. Like, okay, this is what I want you to draw. No questions asked. <laughs> that would be something. I I constantly wonder and we've talked to comics artists and comics writers about this before because it's different depending on who you're talking to what the process is how much do you have to give anybody that you're working with to be able to portray the story visually off of the script you know do you i know when i wrote comics uh it came down to the detail sometimes if i was like Okay, no, it needs to be this particular type. This this kind of fruit needs to be in that glass as opposed to 
you know, blah, blah, blah. So we can say that they're, they're drinking their signature drink or something like that. But, uh, well, hopefully it pans out, man. I really yeah. hope the fight club two was really ambitious. I felt like he was overreaching, trying to break the walls that, um, Matt fraction and, and Bendis told him that he couldn't break. And, you know, let's see where it goes. I, I just hope that it's not too convoluted the way that I told you I had to watch Prometheus tw- two times and then read the <laughs> Wikipedia page and then read the and then rewatch the movie, which is how I had to actually reread Fight Club 2. Um, when you're talking about library copies, man, like the, the hardbound copy is gorgeous. Yeah, like the, it really is. The, the David Matt copy with the, the, the double eyes. And, you know, they kind of recreated that in one of the uh, the pictures you showed me. But even then, it's, it's going to be good. It's Chuck. He's having fun. And that's what I love about good comics and good literature is when an, a writer or an artist, you know, they're the same thing. But when they're having fun and really going balls out and trying to create something really meaningful. And I'm... I didn't find the ending of Fight Club 2 as meaningful as I found the ending of Fight Club 1, whether in the book or the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still Tyler. It's still Jack, Balthazar, Sebastian, whatever you want to call him. And let's just have some fun. It's worth my three three ninety nine. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, I'm, I'm along for the ride one way or the other. I mean, they're characters I'm interested in. You never knew what it would be like to have a Fight Club 2 until like two years ago when it came out. And it's like, okay, so what do you keep? What do you keep from that book and from that movie? And I I think to me the real question was always like, did Project Mayhem ever really go away? Is it a possibility that could ever really go away? Or was it a self-sustaining cell? Like as was reported, you know, I'm I'm the leader of a terrorist network and all of this stuff that's all over the place. I love that term. Yeah, and it's like... Self-sustaining cell. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, would it go away? Shouldn't these people be running into them? So these people all over the place all the time, can they ever escape it? You go back in the book and at the end of the book, it's like, no, we're going to get you out of here, sir. It's kind of the same thing. It's Hail Hydra, man. I mean, you get back. I'm not a giant fan of the Secret Empire uh, story that came out recently. But even then, you've got you've got a Tyler Durden version of Captain America who's imprisoned. But they're only imprisoning him so insofar as that the prison guards are also members of Hydra, you know? So, right. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Ultimately, I mean, I'm not asking you to rank it necessarily, and we're a long ways off from Fight Club 3 giving us its penultimate uh, climactic moment here. But, I mean, Fight Club 2, I mean, did you like it? Did you love it? Was it okay? What What about it opened your eyes? Did it do anything you know, different? There was, no, there was no eye-opening other than the fact that Chuck was having a lot of fun with breaking comic book tropes mm-hmm. and how to write a graphic novel and what should and shouldn't be done. Okay. The obscurity when important things were obscured from your actual eyesight, you couldn't see it, but you knew that there's something important behind it. As opposed to like the end of Watchmen, when you would see the newspaper articles in full glory, mm-hmm. he would obscure things. And I think he's just having a lot of fun as a writer in a different format. And, when it comes to that, yeah, have some fun. Have a good time. But I hope he doesn't mess Fight Club up that to the point where we don't really want to 
you know, invest in it the way we, we did when, when it first came out as a book or even a movie, especially the movie. Um, I think he's just, again, just to reiterate, I, I just think he's trying to have a lot of fun writing a comic book and breaking all the rules he can. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of his YouTube videos, and he's always uh, writer workshopping, mm-hmm. always trying to find ways to make things different. And that's what he's trying to do, uh, definitely, in my opinion. But whether or not it's going to be good, I don't know. Uh, I, I still haven't made my mind if I really liked Fight Club 2 because it was honestly, it was gorgeously illustrated, but it was a chore to read the whole thing. It is hard. I, yeah. I had to read, it was involving. It was like three, four times. Three, four times. But even then, like, did I really get what he was trying to say? Did Did Tyler having a kid or trying to take his own kid or Tyler being this this timeless character that continues on continues on and whether or not he's with Jack or Sebastian or Balthazar, he he'd find someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, is that really important or, or is he just really trying to have a lot of fun writing? That's the beauty of it, man. He could be Loki. He could be telling Jack anything he wants to and Jack wouldn't know one way or the other. No, not at all. And he could tell him that because he's like, okay, well, you'll die with me or you'll jump into my child or whatever. Maybe that's why he's not there. Maybe that's why Marlon let him out of this site because he knew that the, the kid the kid would be infected by Tyler. That's kind of what happened in Fight Club 2. And so maybe that's why he's out looking for jobs right now. But it's a question of whether or not he's out looking for jobs somewhere else because why wouldn't he have come home that night? But because um, we don't have any... I guess we do. Page one, we do have an indication that he lives there because he's sitting right. there looking at the thing. But, um, you know, what What gets what my I think my favorite part from Fight Club 2 was that Marla was drugging Jack so that she could be with Tyler because that's who she was into. Somehow or another, I just don't see any world where they actually would have got together at the end of Fight Club 1. She was a mess, but. Somehow or another, Jack had some weird stuff going on, but he was just way too prescient. And I wonder if that's maybe just the way that Ed Norton was capable of playing him. It's amazing how people will go to extreme lengths to get the right lay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. Some, uh, you, know, yeah. you know, messing with his uh, medicine so she can get screwed by Tyler... And, you know, you get the kid, and then obviously she's pregnant now. I don't know if you noticed, but, like, they, they did everything kind of like the way they would film a television series if one of the main characters got pregnant, like in the X-Files, oh, yeah. and they, they would only show him from, like, uh, you know, a little bit over the waist up and mm-hmm. do everything good to conceal it. And I think they're doing that. I think she's pregnant again, man. And, you know, we'll see where that goes. But uh, let's talk about one of my favorite things about um, when we do any sort of comic conversation is that we're always keeping up with all the good news stuff, but you're always digging deep, man. I, I, from what I understand, you've been reading Marvel Boy? Oh, They've man, yeah I, mean, one? yeah. I mean, A, I'm a Captain Marvel fan, and uh, I'm excited for this movie, but what a lot of people probably don't know, and I'm going back to the, you know, the business of uh, there being lots of new readers, a lot of people who are younger than me, 
and a lot of people who are just Marvel Cinematic Universe people, you're seeing advertisements for the new Brie Larson uh, Captain Marvel movie. And yeah, Captain Marvel is a, is currently a woman, but Captain Marvel was originally not. She got her powers. I'm trying to figure that out through reading comics, how she got her powers without going to Wikipedia page. I want to read Captain Marvel comics from the 60s and 70s and get it figured out. Here's a character that they kind of bring back and it never works. They're killing characters in Marvel Comics all the time, and then they come back within a few years. And it only really makes sense if you're going to kill Wolverine off. Yeah, it makes sense that you could bring him back. Or Jean Grey, the Phoenix, totally makes sense. I don't want to see Spider-Man getting killed off. I don't want to see Nightcrawler or Colossus or a lot of characters coming back once they've been killed off. But even if Joss Whedon writes it. Sorry, that was a long time ago, but still, to this day, I'm like, uh, gosh, yes, great, but give me a break. They definitely tow with our emotions. And I really, really, I was really disgusted uh, when Squadron Supreme, or was it Supreme Power? I can't remember which one it was, uh, where they, they killed Namor, cut his head off, and then pow, he's back in no time. Karnak, the Inhuman. That's This is all my bitch. I want to know why... The original Captain Marvel has never actually really, truly come back to any success. It's either only because nobody's written it that way, uh, or because it's better that he died, because he's a better inspiration as a dead character who inspired Reed Richards, Iron Man, Captain America, the Avengers, all of these superhero characters to do good on their own world. And I also want to know how Carol Danvers ends up becoming, you know, Ms. Marvel ultimately becomes Captain Marvel and becomes the power figure that she is now. So, like I say, I just don't want to read that in Wikipedia. I want to figure it out through the comics. Nevertheless, we're big fans of Grant Morrison. And Marvel Boy from 2000 ties into all of this. Unfortunately, it doesn't tie into Captain Marvel, but it was no waste of a read. That's for sure. Um, I picked this up. It's not difficult to come up with. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places that are carrying old copies of this. Uh, it's, it's in trade paperback. It's in, I don't know, it might even be hardback too. I think I looked it up, but, um, uh, yeah, the point is Grant Morrison got together with, let me see who this was again. I got to get the artist. So I read this this morning and I don't remember every little thing about it, but, um, Captain Mar- or you know, Grant Morrison got to go off on a wild tangent with this story, and uh, I I just finished re- listening to his Super Gods on uh, Audible, and he he committed a significant amount of time to this for a six issue story arc that pretty much got canceled in its in its infancy. I'm going to say a couple of things like it starts out, and I really don't know what the hell is going on. It is a convoluted mess of people who are speaking their own language, basically. And the first two issues are very, they flounder around, but I think that's kind of, that kind of makes sense for it. But I also don't know if in the year 2000, that was the right decision to make for the price point of $3 in the year 2000 to start off with a character that was Marvel boy versus Captain Marvel, who had been dead for decades preceding. Right. And go off with people that you don't really know too much about 
Because one way or another, the Cree, I man, I mean, they never do anything with the Cree that really expands upon them. They are a race of warriors that are at the end of their genetic development. And that is why they were ruled by the Inhumans in War of the Kings. Because here were some people who had who can push their the boundaries of their abilities, their development. Nevertheless, I mean, you get into this, and consequently, none of the characters you're reading about are even from this universe. They are Kree right. characters from another universe, and they had uh, they were super 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 powered people, and they had done tons of amazing stuff wherever they were before all this. Hopefully, if Morrison had been able to expand on this at some point, he would have come back to this point. But uh, essentially, uh, this is a crew. Their ship gets shot down over Earth by um, uh, Dr. Midas. And the ship crash lands and inexplicably ends up being hidden under the streets of Manhattan somehow or another. I did not find a way to ascertain just what it was that got the ship there. It feels like there is way, way more content that got written into this than there was page count available to do it. And so I feel like the uh, the artist probably let me find his name. I'm sorry, I don't feel I feel like a bad guy for not being able to just pull that up out of nowhere. Uh, no worries, man. Yeah, um, we'll find I, it. I feel oh, it's a G J G Jones, Jeffrey Glenn Jones, and uh, it looks like Ryan Kelly did some work also. Um, they basically, I feel like they probably did a bunch of extra content, and then they were like, "Okay, well, you got to take this out. You got to take that out." The editors were like, "We got to compress this down to the appropriate page count." So the first two issues are like that, but then everything just starts to massage into shape in issue three. Story is basically, like I said, alternate universe Krees get shot down by a uh, techno-industrialist opportunist, and Marvel Boy, his entire crew, the woman he loves, they're all killed, and he wants to take it out on the human race. He is a petulant young ensign and he is overpowered for his body and what he's capable of doing is astronomical because he has so much access to alien technology and he wrecks the place he just goes around he basically goes on a tangent in new york city and carves out fuck you by knocking down buildings and leaving them in a burning pile so that a, a shield space satellite can see this and know that he's irritated about the way he's been treated since he got to Earth. Then, somehow or another, his starship and the uh, offshoot of the Kree Supreme Intelligence that is on board the ship is present in Manhattan, and he is being chased by, in issue three, a sentient living corporation that is going to take over the Earth. And that is incredible, because what you've got Think about it. 1999. What had just come out? Fight Club. What also had just come out? The Matrix. The Matrix. Those two movies, those two, and consequently the book, all about corporate domination over our lives, our thoughts, our liberty, everything that we're doing, thinking, feeling, 
And here we have an actual bad guy that is a corporation. And Marvel Boy is like, okay, I've got to go do something about this because, uh, not because he cares about humans, not because he cares about any people. He's made no friends on Earth. He's doing this only because the uh, collective gestalt that is contained within the Supreme Intelligence pile that's on his spaceship is like, no, we have to do this because we made this mistake. It's our, it's not responsibility and it's not guilt. I have to find exactly the right page, but it basically shames him into doing what he needs to do despite his petulance. And that is a big, crazy late nineties concept, you know, it really is. It is, you go back and you look at this and it has late nineties written all over it, even though it's from the year 2000. But I'll tell you, man, the, the advertisements in these things are a trip, a total blast from the past. You don't see advertising like this in comic books. Now the, I, I, everybody, go uh, go to your comic book store and ask for a dollar comic from late '90s, early 2000s, and you're going to see a weird touch of history that we are. I'm glad to have forgotten. The book just gets sexier and sexier because uh, ultimately, Doctor Midas' evil daughter, who's an assassin right. in dominatrix outfit, is sent to come and get him, and. Uh, She's kind of like a Doctor Doom knockoff in a certain way, and I don't want to go into that too much. But uh, And then Doctor Midas is, of course, running around wearing the golden armor of the original Iron Man, whether or not it's the legitimate one. But uh, Doctor Midas is trying to capture the spaceship that Marvel has contained because it has a cosmic ray drive system. Now, Joshua, let me ask you if that sounds familiar to anything that we've ever talked about working on. Just uh, a little bit. Just a little bit. And uh, so I'm glad to say that our concept is different, but at least it's, it, uh, <laughs> at least Grant Morrison is smart enough to look into all of the old Marvel for a lot of his concepts. Which, by the way, let me go back, uh, back to issue three. The evil corporation, it's called Brand X. So if you go Brand back and X. you look at not Brand X from the uh, parody book way, way back, thank you, Grant, for for uh, for paying attention to these things. Thank uh, you, Grant. Man, I mean, yeah. I, w- I wish we had a I wish we had a Grant Morrison thing like burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, I don't know. We'll have to see if there is one that ties it up. Anyway, I mean the ex- obu- the girl's name is Obulette, the exterminatrix. She's entertaining and interesting. Marvel Boy is entertaining and interesting. It's really it's really cool to have a character that, I mean, you're reading English, but they're talking about it from the perspective of how this guy learned his English out of a dictionary. That's kind of fascinating. You know, there are so many wonderful, impressive Grant Morrison ideas in here that would eventually, you can see how it would tie together that he would get that awesome run on New X-Men that... Uh, we adore, and um, you can see all of these crazy things that he pulls out of the ether and out of his research into the occult and finds a way to infiltrate into a mainstream concept that would forever change things. And tragically, this book only got six issues. And... uh, Temporally, we don't see another iteration of Novar the Marvel Boy until we're in the Illuminati book, 
when uh, all of Earth's you know most powerful superheroes get together, go to the raft where Marvel Boy is contained. He's in prison. Uh, and um, they basically tell him, you can sit here and you can hate yourself in prison, or you can earn your way out of here, and then be the most important person in the world because of the legacy of another Cree man that we all couldn't believe was so good to us, and we couldn't even pronounce his name right. Marvel, Captain Marvel. Marvel. And that's what he decides to do. He eventually gets out, you know? Ultimately, he's a heavy-duty character in uh, the Secret Invasion and Dark Avengers storyline. He's got his moments in Siege before I think he's pretty much like, yeah, I'm not doing this. These guys are the bad guys, obviously, and I'm, I'm getting lost. And then he decides to become Protector, a member of the Avengers. And how could they say no to a power set like that? But I think he's another character, unfortunately, like Daredevil who gets a little... Or I'm sorry, not Daredevil, but like Darkhawk who gets traded around a little bit because people are trying... You know, I think people attach themselves to these characters and they say, I want to do something with this guy. Um, but nobody's been able to really push him more than I think Grant Morrison did. And uh, I guess if I could say that about anybody else besides Darkhawk, I'd say Machine Man. Please, let me run Machine Man for a while. Let me be his programming. Oh, even his action figure is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love his hero clicks. Thank you, WizKids. Super good, super good sculpts on a lot of uh, a lot of him. Just think, that's a character I want to be able to take seriously. Anyway, yeah, more on that later. But uh, well, yeah, seriously, we're, that's, we're winding, that's my long box. We're winding down on our on our uh, first episode. Um, tell me more about your comic book shop. Uh, can you uh, can you give me uh, who we need to talk to at your comic book shop there in, in Stillwater? Oh yeah, I've got a buddy named Mark Brooks who is a. Uh, uh, he's not the owner. That's Darren Portine. And, um, Mark, it, Mark is just a guy. It, he seems to be the guy that's in there when I go in there, which isn't to say that Darren isn't around. I see Darren every, every, you know, when I go in there, but Mark is the guy who's behind the counter more often than not. And I think we all have a comic book shop that's like that. And, right. uh, there's, you know, there's day-to-day work and then there's grander business work that needs to get handled. And obviously that's how these guys do it. Cause it, you, you, you go to the comic book store and you're, you're talking to your buddies but they're also business people. They're trying to run a Absolutely. business, and uh, you know, I've you know, Mar- Mark's so a good well, dude, though. huh? It pulled off so well. Uh, I definitely want to do a shout out to Matt Price over at Speeding Bullet. There oh in hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Price. Also, um, Amanda and George here in Colorado Springs at Muse Comic Books, mm-hmm. and um, my buddy CJ over at uh, Skate Velocity here at um, Colorado Springs as well. There's two two spots here. I always going to want to shout out to them if you guys are here in colorado springs just make sure you stop in if, if you go into this into muse make sure you talk about with uh george uh he's he's beautiful this big dude beautiful beard kick-ass <laughs> hair uh talk to him about some magic cords and old vertigo comic books and if you want a good hug and a woman that will genuinely genuinely appreciate your your business and to know who you are, Amanda there at Muse. And then obviously I was saying about my buddy CJ over here at a uh, skate velocity. Every time I go into skate velocity, cause I always get my pulls from Muse, but I go into skate velocity and be like, Hey mm-hmm. CJ, what are you reading? He points it out, wrap it up. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, for real. 
I want to throw but, uh, one more shout out to uh, my favorite uh, comic book store in the entire Los Angeles area, up in Burbank on Olive Boulevard. Nice. Paul, who runs House of Secrets, my favorite comic book store I ever went to in the entire time I lived in California. Just love that place. I can't wait to go, man. Oh, well, Silver Age. You got anything to sign off with? No, man, I'm just looking forward to it. I guess I'm going to play Pokemon with my uh, nine-year-old boy tomorrow. <laughs> nice. And, uh, yeah, we'll come up with everybody. Listen, I mean, subscribers and listeners, uh, if you've got anything you want to talk to us about, if you want to tell us anything, let us know in those moments when we have not said the right thing. That's fine. Uh, let us, you know, we have we got a big box of no prizes over here. Um, and uh, if you know what that means, I applaud you, you 64-year-old comic book fan. But, um, yeah, if you've got comments or opinions, we'd love to hear from you. You can check us out on our website. And uh, uh, we've got an email address that <laughs> we set up today, so I don't recall what it is off the top of my head. But uh, we'll, we'll post it. Michael at the MindfieldsPodcast.com. Yeah. MindfieldsComicBookPodcast.com. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a whole it's lot. It's a lot. Yeah, if you've got anything to tell us, uh, let us know. We'll uh, be providing you with uh, our thoughts, comments, and opinions of what we're reading, what I'm reading. I'm reading old stuff all the time. I'm reading new stuff all the time. Joshua's doing the same thing. There's, We talk about Marvel a lot because that's our favorite stuff, but that doesn't mean that we don't like a lot of things that the other majors and indies like, uh, are doing. Uh, you know, At some point, something DC is going to blow my mind. I'm going to be like, boom, I'm going to totally check this out. I do need to read Batman R.I.P., which I know is significantly not recent, but it's also Grant Morrison. But um, What was that, like eight years ago? Damn. It probably, yeah, that feels like eight, nine, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I've got a copy of it here. I need to sit down and do that. Yeah, that means we got to talk about the uh, two-issue in the Gaiman series that he did afterwards, the uh, whatever happened to the the Dark Knight. That that was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. But we'll save that for another issue. Yeah, uh, thanks for tuning into Minefields. Uh, we love you guys. Send us anything you want to talk about, you don't like about us. We want to hear it all. Colin, you got anything to wrap up? No, I'm in good shape. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you soon. I'm in good shape. Love you too, man. We'll catch you guys next week. We'll catch up with all the new comic books and do a really good long box when we go into something a little bit more deeper. Today we've been going into everything we've been reading for the past, uh, I guess, about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Know, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more in-depth, actually very more in-depth academically for some definitive runs and let you know what you should be reading, what you missed out on. Because, hey, one of the things that's the worst thing about being a comic book reader is where and when you were born. Um, oh, man, I'm, good point. I'm, I'm 82. What are you, 78? <laughs> yeah, with a voice <laughs> like this, I'm definitely uh, 64. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know we, you know we want to catch you up, let you know what you need to read, and let us know what we should read. We love you guys. Uh, Minefields, we're out.